Well, welcome to uh, day two. How did yesterday go for y'all? Good time. Did y'all go in the mountains? No mountains? Mini golf? Wonderful hamburgers out there? No gross chicken, so that's cool. Cut. Cut that part. Got microphone on. Got to be careful what I say. Can't run down the chicken here. They won't have me back. Um... Well, this morning we're going to be uh, kind of continuing what we talked about yesterday. Uh, yesterday we hit on uh, a little bit of kind of who I am, what my story is, and then how um, God had a job description for Adam and how uh, he failed miserably. And before he, uh, before the fall took place, uh, before uh, Adam was passive and before uh, he didn't stand up, uh, to what Satan was up to, uh, God had given him this kind of job to uh, to be a child of God, to look after the world, to work and to keep it, uh, to uh, be a protector, uh, to take care of the world around him, and take care of the people in, kind of in his uh, in his proximity, and uh, to give names to things. Uh, he gave Adam a little bit of power to. Uh, to really name animals, uh, and some of that has been transferred to us. Uh, obviously, we uh, we inherited a sin-soaked and sin-stained world, and so there's a lot of confusion there uh, because we got both Adam's uh, passivity and Adam's cowardice and Adam's um, kind of failures, uh, but we also got a glimmer of of we have God's image in us, right? So we have a glimmer of those things that uh, God, those attributes that God communicated to Adam. Adam that are also in us. And so as we are kind of working through what this means uh, to be a man in God's kingdom and to find our purpose, uh, we're doing so sort of like we're playing with uh, not a full deck, really. Um, And so we have to really rely on uh, Christ, rely on Jesus and what he says about us. Um, And so kind of I told you a little bit about my journey into all this yesterday. but I have a good buddy, his name's Taylor, uh, and he uh, he was uh, he was an upcoming freshman, so he was going to be a freshman in high school. Uh, he went to high school in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and uh, he was going to be a, uh, a freshman, and uh, he was pretty skilled. I mean, he was as good as an eighth grader can be at baseball, um, and he was pretty, you know, pretty skilled, pretty good-looking kid, and he gets to school, and uh, he kind of heard these rumors. Uh, about this big party that goes down at this guy named Boone's house, and um, he wanted the invite. He wanted the invite to Boone's house, and so he is at school, and these girls come up to him, and they're like, "Hey, do you want to come with us to Boone's party?" And Taylor's like, "Hell yeah, I do!" <laughs> right? Like, of course I want to go to this. Um, and he's like, I would love to, to go. Like, he's like, oh, yeah, you know, he's trying to play it cool. Sure. Yeah, I guess if I'm free, I'll go. Um, and so he uh, gets invited there. It's a big pool party. So they play vo- like big pool volleyball game. Uh, everybody's drinking and all that kind of stuff. And he gets there and the girls and Boone and a couple of his buddies are like, hey, why don't you like get on our, be on our team? We want you to be on our team. And uh, they're, you know, volleying the ball back and forth. And... Boone goes up to Taylor and says, hey, uh, on this next hit, I'm going to set it for you. I want you to jump up and spike it. Um, and that will really like show them that you're going to be like the next big thing at, at Oakland High School. And uh, so he goes up for the spike. Whoosh, Boone rips his shorts off. 
Um, so now Taylor <laughs> misses. You got that wrong. Um, he's missing his shorts. Uh, so Boone pulls Taylor's shorts off, uh, throws them to the side where a girl standing inside the, the pool. She catches them and then throws them into the neighbor's yard, like across the fence. Uh, so now here's Taylor, uh, little eighth grade Taylor, uh, butt naked, uh, in front of uh, all the anybody who's anybody at Oakland High School, and uh, the girl like Taylor's crying, like he's devastated, right? Um, and the girl comes up to him and says, like, you didn't really think, you didn't really think we we're gonna be friends with you, did you? Uh, like, he didn't really think that, that you were anything. Like, we just brought you here to make fun of you. Um, Taylor, for the rest of his life, y'all, we're the same age, we're 37. Um, he's now happily married, has two wonderful kids. Uh, he lives in Starkville, Mississippi. Um, but for from age 14, really, until age 35, uh, when he met Jenna and got married, uh, Taylor would say that his whole life was a reaction to that moment. Uh, that was the moment in his life that his shalom was shattered, uh, that his peace was gone, and that he realized this world is a messed up place. And that, and that uh, moment set up for him how he would relate to masculinity for the rest of his life. Uh, because he's now looking at the world around him and saying, I don't trust anybody. Um, I put myself out there, tried to make friends, and then I got burned. And so uh, I think when we look at our own uh, journey as you guys are coming up through high school, and then if you go into the workforce after high school or whether you're going to college, uh, whatever your plans are, are there, uh, you're going to find that your life is, uh, is going to be a reaction to a moment in your life that you can look back and say, this is the flag in the ground uh, where... Everything went off the rails for me. Um, if you haven't hit that moment yet, you will. Um, but I would, I would venture to say that you already have. And so when we look at masculinity and how warped it can be uh, to think about now. I remember yesterday I said you live in, the, in one of the few times that uh, you can go pick your gender. Um, that it wasn't biologically assigned to you like it always has been. Um, and so there's a ton of sexual brokenness. Um, there's a ton of confusion surrounding all this. And we have two choices. Do we look at kind of what culture says and what the world kind of trumps up? Uh, do we listen to the boons of the world uh, who say uh, you're just here uh, for a good time and here to you know, be roasted on or whatever? Um, or we can go to Scripture and see what does God say about what a man is to be? Um, so yesterday we kind of gave out those four things of what he intended. Uh, and today we're going to talk a little bit more about some character traits that, uh, that God has. Uh, so if you have a Bible with you or you got your phone on you, uh, 1 Timothy 3 is where we're going to be. 1 Timothy 3. Uh, Timothy was Paul's understudy. Timothy was Paul's... Um, do we have any folks from Christ Pres Oxford in here? This is going to sound exactly like something Les Newsom said a while back. Um, so disclaimer, I stole this entire thing from him. Um, 100%. I told him the other day. It's fine. He signed off on it. Any good preacher just steals from everybody else. Um, and so... Timothy is Paul's understudy. Timothy is uh, the guy who um, Paul has lived a very full life. Uh, Paul first was a man who 
persecuted the church. Uh, he would describe himself as the Pharisee of Pharisees, that he was beyond perfect. Uh, he kept every jot and tittle of the law. Uh, he went after every Christian who uh, spoke of Jesus. Uh, Stephen, who was the first uh, guy to be stoned, uh, not Colorado stoned, but with rocks stoned. Uh, huh? That's boulder, the big boulders. That they're boulders. No, I'm just uh, and so uh, Stephen is—he's buried to his waist in a hole, right? And his arms are down; he can't move them, so he's just stuck. And then rocks are just pelting him in the head. Um, and Paul is the guy who's holding the coats for the people who are throwing the rocks. Uh, and if you, you you likely know the rest of the story, he encounters Jesus on the road to Damascus. He goes blind for three days. Um, and then he becomes uh, a missionary for Jesus, uh, going to the Gentiles, the very people he hated. Um, he would wreck on ships. He got shipwrecked one time, and then when he got to the coast, he got bit by a snake. Um, he would be beaten within an inch of his life, thrown in jail. Uh, just a rough uh, life for him. And he knew, my days are coming to an end. Um, Rome is here. Rome is oppressive. They're going to kill me. And so he's writing to Timothy and saying, uh, for the good of the church and for the church to progress, um, it's going to need men who have some of these qualities. Um, and it's written to uh, men who are going to be elders in the church. And I know that none of you are likely at this point being tapped uh, to be an elder at your church, uh, unless you're just super spiritual. Um, but what Paul is laying out for Timothy here is that these are actually great guidelines for men to aspire to. Um, so let's read First uh, Timothy 3. Uh, we're going to be in 1 through 7. Let's read God's Word here. The, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not drunk, not violent, but, uh, uh, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, for if someone does not know how to manage his own house, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, for he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace and into a snare of the devil. Let's pray together. Uh, Jesus, you're with us and you're for us. Uh, show us uh, through your word what you have uh, for us as men uh, in your kingdom in this space and time. And we'll give you glory for it. Amen. Uh, so... We asked the question yesterday, what is the purpose of a man in the kingdom of God? Uh, we're going to ask the question today, what is a respectable man in the kingdom of God? Uh, and first, before we get into anything else, uh, much like yesterday, um, if you want to know what a respectable man is, uh, you look at Jesus. Uh, the, he, he is the prime example of this. And we know that this can sound trite, uh, this can cl- sound cliche, and it can sound like old hat. Um, and kind of feel like a Sunday school answer a little bit. Um, but it doesn't mean it's not true. It doesn't make it any less true. And uh, being bored with Jesus uh, actually says a lot more about your heart 
than it does about Jesus. Um, because when we look at Jesus through Scripture, what we find is He's tender and kind enough that, uh, that children were, were not scared to go up to Him. Uh, they could walk up to Him, feel completely safe. Uh, he rebuked His disciples for trying to keep kids from getting to Him. Um, whenever there was another lady who was caught in adultery um, and was set to be stoned, uh, not Colorado stone, but with rocks. Uh, she is about to be hit by these men throwing these rocks. Jesus steps in, comforts her, and rebukes the one throwing the rocks. Uh, he's saying, if you have sin, or if you have no sin, rather, go ahead and throw the first stone, uh, knowing full well that they're all going to drop their rocks and walk away. Um, Jesus was fully stern. Uh, you see this in how he responded to a lot of the Pharisees' actions. Um, you see this when he walks into the temple, the house of God, and flips tables over because they're trying to make money. Um, making money at the expense of getting access to God he was not okay with. Uh, he's fully stern. He's a fighter. He's a warrior. Um, he fights for his people. He fights for the downcast and for the oppressed. Uh, but at the same time, he's fully meek. Um, he lets uh, a prostitute cry at his feet and she wipes his feet with her hair. Um, he sits with Zacchaeus who just ripped a bunch of people off. Um, he calls disciples who are boneheads to come be with him and they fall asleep while he's praying. Um, and Jesus still is kind to them. Um, he's fully stern and he's fully meek and it's not a mixture of the two, it's both always. <coughs> And C.S. Lewis talks about this a lot uh, in his writings, especially how he handles the story of King Arthur, and he talks about Lancelot. And that Lancelot is a man who is acquainted with the view of bloody stumps and severed heads, uh, but is also the meekest man to ever sit in the hall among women. Um, That a man has to embody both full chivalry um, and full strength. And Jesus does that. Jesus is the prime example of that. Um, And so... The first thing that a man does is that he wakes up in the morning and before his feet hit the floor, he realizes, I am desperately dependent on Jesus to make sense of my life. Um, That I can't make a move uh, without uh, Jesus directing me in that way. Um, And a lot of how you are going to relate to Jesus and a lot of how you relate really to manhood is how um, your dad has treated you. some of you have had wonderful fathers. Um, and some of you have had terrible ones. Uh, some of them have hurt you. Uh, some of them have <laughs> said very, very mean things. Um, the worst of dads, there's, there's hardly anything worse for us, for men. Um, and the best of dads are still going to fail us. So Jesus is the standard, and we, and we fall far short of that. So a man has to live with the conviction that God did something for him that he could not do for himself. Um, that his whole life is based upon grace. Um, he shows humility and not pride. Um, that he has a control of his anger. And we'll talk about that a lot more um, on Friday when we're together. Um, and the second thing that Paul outlines here are just some character traits. Uh, what, is, what makes a man, a godly man, someone that is worthy of being followed? Uh, if you have a, a youth pastor here that you respect, uh, you, you follow them because you see something in them that is worth being followed. 
Um, you see this even with, you know, hopefully with your parents and things like that. Uh, but what makes a godly man someone who is worthy of being followed, someone who is worthy of being fallen in love with, um, someone who you would look at uh, when you look at your church and say, I want that guy to teach me about Jesus. I want that guy to show me uh, kind of where the landmines are uh, in my life. And uh, because the Bible is far more concerned with who you are than what you do. And what you do matters. It, it says things in there like, don't do these things. It's certainly in there. Um, but it's far more concerned with your heart um, and who you are kind of as a person. So uh, we're just going to kind of blast through a couple of these. Um, and then I'll get you out of here so you can go get your bagged lunch. Um, but the first thing he does, uh, Paul says here in First Timothy, is that he's above reproach. Uh, it simply means that uh, your character to the world is obvious. Uh, who you are kind of in your bedroom, who you are on your phone, uh, who you are on, on social, um, is the same person that you are in person. Uh, that you're not uh, hiding behind a screen or hiding behind uh, kind of a, you know, trumping up what you want the world to think you are. Uh, that who you are out there and who you are in here and who you are in your heart and who you are in your bedroom is the same person uh, all across the board. Um, that, uh, you know, that kid, uh, if you have young life at your school or a kid kind of in your youth group that's a little bit of a mess um, and you wonder, like, what are they doing here? They drink too much. Uh, or they say dirty words. Um, when we when we talk about being above reproach, um, you understand kind of fundamentally uh, that that to be fake is something to be avoided. Um, I hear about this all the time when I just meet with students. I don't like him. He's fake. Uh, he's not who he says he is. Like, you know that. Uh, and you know what it's like when you see that. And Paul is saying that to be above reproach is someone who is true to themselves all the time. That all across the board, uh, that they are who they are. Um, so kind of ask yourself, would it terrify you uh, to walk, you know, if I were to like walk up to your friends and be like, hey, what's he like, you know, on a Friday? Or what's he like on a Tuesday afternoon? Um, who are you know? What's he like on online? Um, who you are here is who you are all the time. Uh, Paul said that is wildly important. It's a, it's the top of the list. Um, secondly, he says that a man of God is a one woman man. Um, now. Uh, you can look at this and kind of brush it off because you're not married, and so you think it doesn't apply. But I'd be willing to say um, that it isn't just saying uh, a good man doesn't cheat on his wife. Uh, that's we understand that too, right? Uh, that's fundamental to who we are. Um, so it's not less than that, but it's certainly more than that, uh, because what Paul is addressing here with Timothy is to say uh, we got to look for men and be men who have an understanding of their sexuality as it pertains to women. Uh, We're going to talk about this a lot more on Friday. Um, But as it pertains to women and sexuality, he realizes that uh, sex is something uh, that the Bible is wildly in favor of. If I'm shattering anything your parents told you, just tell your parents I'm sorry and tell them not to download this talk. Um, Because I'll get to your question at the end. um, Yeah, sure, you don't have to ask. it's not school. Um, he realizes that uh, that sexuality and that sex and the Bible is so pro-sex. Um, 
that the parameters around it are not there because it's bad. Uh, the parameters around it are there because it's good. Um, and because it's too powerful for you at this moment in your life. Um, and that a, a good man realizes that how he relates to the world um, and the phone that's in his pocket. Um, like when I was, I was still in the first class of this, when I was a kid, you had to go looking for it. Uh, you had to go looking for porn. You had to go to the gas station, the Getty Mart, next to the Walmart in, in my hometown, was the place where you could get dirty magazines. Um, they were on the top shelf, a friend told me. And um, you had to go look for it and steal it and then take it home. Or you had to like sneak downstairs and try to watch it on TV while your parents were asleep. Um, you didn't have the access to it that you guys have. Um, and that isn't to say that our generation is less sexually broken because it's not true. Uh, we're just as messed up. We found ways to get it. Uh, but for you, it's right there. Yeah, exactly. And for you who have, uh, for you who've done this and have have been in this spot, uh, I want you to hear me say this: uh, God is with you, and God is for you. There is a ton of of sexual shame. Uh, that you have um, all over the place. And the reaction that you get from adults a lot is, how can you be so stupid? Um, And I'll tell you how you can, because we're sinners. But Jesus walks into this with you and says, here, at this moment, where you really messed up and you don't want anybody to see it, Um, and you don't want anybody to know, and if your friends found out, they'd be terrified. Jesus comes into that and says, one, I already know. Two, um, I died for that. He died for that moment, uh, that mistake. Um, And he died for our broken sexuality, and he's going to redeem it. Uh, He'll redeem it for you when you get married. um, And and really, that's it. And we see that kind of all through Scripture. And when heaven's here, sex is no more. Sex isn't eternal. Um, because the point of it is to point us to Jesus and all that He has done, that we are His bride and He is our groom. And so for eternity, together, we are to be with Jesus. And when He looks at us uh, in our sin and in our shame, He knows, hey, I I've, I've, I've know that you've been there. I've been tempted as you have. And he, He's going to walk through it with you. So have hope in that. Uh, Know that Jesus loves you. Um, You haven't fallen further than His grace can reach. Um, But also know uh, that um, sex, kind of like fire, um, is is a good servant but a bad master. Um, Because uh, it's it's great when it's in its context, uh, when it's controlled and when it's safe and right. When it's out of control, it's bad. the second thing, or the kind of the third or fourth thing, and I'll get you out of here so you can get your, go get your sandwiches, um, is that the respectable man is hospitable. Um, he's well thought of by outsiders. Uh, that those who are not in your youth group and not in your church, not in your circle of friends, uh, can still look at this man and say, hey, that guy, even though I don't know him, um, is a great man and a great person. Um, 
Benjamin Franklin, one of the fathers of our country, uh, there was a pastor named George Whitfield who would travel around the countryside on a horse and he would preach to, like just out in fields to thousands of folks. And uh, Ben Franklin staunchly opposed Christianity, um, was not a Christian at all, and uh, he would go to Whitfield's rallies when Whitfield was in town, and they were friends, they were buddies. And uh, a, a, a colonial man, a colonist, saw him at, uh, at one of Whitfield's rallies and said to him, hey, what are you doing here? You don't believe any of this. And he said, no, I don't, uh, but he does. But I know that George does. Uh, there is a world that is looking at Christianity and wanting it to be true. Um, a respectable man, a man of God, a man of character, um, proves that it's not too good to be true. Uh, that Christianity is what it is, that Jesus is who He says He is, and helps others get there. Um, he's well thought of by those who are outside of the faith. Um, and y'all, uh, and we'll you know we'll close on Friday, uh, but none of this is possible without knowing who we are. Uh, none of this is possible without looking at Jesus and saying, "This is where my identity comes from." Because we have a deep desire to know that we matter. Uh, you have a deep desire to know that you are significant. Um, this is why you lose interest uh, with girls whenever you chase them and you catch them. Uh, you're like the dog who catches the car. Like, what do I do with it now that I have it? Um, we are. Uh, you will never understand yourself until you understand that your search for significance um, is only found in Jesus first. And that you don't rely on your gifts, you don't rely on your abilities uh, to define who you are and to give you your identity. You don't look for it in girls, you don't look for it in sports, uh, in music and art. Uh, you look only to the cross and say that Jesus knew I was bad enough that he needed to die for me. Um, but Jesus loved me enough that he was happy to do it. Like Richie said last night, you don't get the last word on who you are. Um, that it's always God who defines that. Um, and for us, it's time to lay down our swords and to stop fighting the fight on our own and let Jesus fight for us. Uh, so let me close this in prayer and I'll get you up to uh, lunch. Uh, Jesus, we are undone by such a list uh, that would say of all these qualities um, that we can keep none of them without you. Uh, Lord, even as an elder in your church, I'm undone uh, by such a list. Uh, I pray for these men that as you are growing them into who they are, uh, that they would uh, grow into a deeper knowledge of their uh, love that they have in you, um, a deeper knowledge of their sin that they have in themselves, and that they would turn to you and repent and to continue fighting. Uh, God, you're good to us. Uh, Sustain us and protect us. It's in your name we do pray. Amen.